We continue our remembrance of the Holocaust on WSIU with a special edition of In the Author's Voice. Former Ambassador Merrill Frank served on the UN Commission on the Status of Women during the Obama administration and was appointed by President Biden to the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Council. Ambassador Frank is out with a new family memoir that chronicles the journey of her search for the truth about a beloved revolutionary cousin, a celebrated actress in Vilnius before World War II, and answers on how the next generation should honor the memory of the Holocaust. I recently talked with Frank about her new book, Unearthed, A Lost Actress, A Forbidden Book, and A Search for Life in the Shadow of the Holocaust. Well, I think as a Holocaust book, it's a little bit unusual because Mm -hmm. it is a Holocaust story. There is a mystery, and the mystery is real. And part memoir, um, talking about my journey, but it's also more than than a cautionary tale. It's it's also a book about what do we do about this, mm-hmm. and how do we live with this? What do we tell our children? Help us set the stage here. Your, if I get this correct, your uh, Aunt Molly, um, and then the obviously um, uh, Franya, your cousin. Um, that is the subject of this, and that was the story about her and this uh, forbidden book and the life and, 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 and what she lived through. Was it passed down by, by your Aunt Molly? What, what started this process? Oh, the process started when I was born, actually. You know, I was designated as what I call the memorial candle. It's actually an Israeli term. And and what it is it's about is usually in a family there's someone that's designated to remember the family stories and pass them down. In my case, I was named for my grandmother, and my grandmother, I believe, told my aunt, and my aunt, the second I was born, decided that I would be the one that would carry this history. And so I don't remember a time when I was not hearing the stories. And the stories were about life in Vilna, which is now Vilnius, Lithuania, and the lives that they lived, where they lived, what it was like. And then it abruptly stopped at the war. When she got to World War II, it would be all that I heard was, they're all gone. They didn't make it. And I was, even as a very little child, interested in what happened to them. You know, I would go through our family's old photographs. It's the kind you know, that many of us have with the the family standing there, very stern, no smiles, um, on a sort of a cardboard stock. And I'd go through them and I'd wonder about who these people were. But there was one who just lit up. You know, she her photographs were in black and white, too. They were publicity shots. And she was dressed as a queen or a peasant mm-hmm. or a porter. And she just seemed to be alive and in color. I mean, the the photographs weren't in color, but she seemed to be because she was so um, exciting. She was sexy. She was fun. She seemed like she'd be a riot to be with. And that was my cousin, Franya, the actress. So even as a very small child, I was looking at these photographs and imagining who they were. It wasn't until I was, it was I was an adult that my aunt gave me a book And the book was called 21 and 1, about 22 actors who died in the Vilna Ghetto. Mm -hmm. And she said, keep this book, pass it down to your children, but don't ever read it. (laughs) 
<laughs> that seems like an awfully large temptation. Don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> did, did, did she really not want you to read it, or did she know or feel that there was a point in your life when you would be ready to read it? Well, that's a good question. I took it literally, and so I took the book, and I put it on the shelf with all of my other Holocaust books, because they didn't talk about it. I read everything. I put it on the shelf, and I didn't read it. I thought that she probably had a reason why I shouldn't read it, you know, she was a formidable woman, and she said, don't read something. Whether she was dead or alive, <laughs> you wouldn't go ahead and read it. But um, but I was curious. I wanted to know what was in it. And I thought maybe she had a reason. Maybe it was too horrific what happened to her. Or maybe she was a collaborator. Or maybe she did things that she didn't want me to know about. I wasn't sure what the reason was. I just knew that I wasn't going to read the book if Molly said not to. So at, at what point, I know that you spent several years over various periods of, of time um, researching um, Franya and, and, and her life. At, at what point, as you talk about it in the, in the book, at what point was it, what was a turning point for you where, okay, I really need to figure out this conundrum and what this right. is all about? Right. Well, about eight years ago, I received an email from the Memorial de la Shoah in Paris. That's the Holocaust Museum mm -hmm. in France. Mm -hmm. And the email said that someone had delivered 50 photographs of an actress in costume and her family. And did I know who they were? They gave me the names. And of course I did. They were Franya and the family. And I flew off to Paris and met with the man who found them. And by the way, kept them for 40 years. Oh my as if they were a treasure. And um, I realized when I was there that this needed to be a book, that there was something that I was meant to do. You know, I'd spent a whole life in public service and working this sort of work. Um, I think trying to deal with the issues around the Holocaust, that you have to do something, so that something like this doesn't happen. But I realized then that what I needed to do was to write this book, that this was what I was meant to do. And so I spent the last seven years writing, reading, I'm sorry, researching and writing. So I, I was in archives in Lithuania and Belarus. I was in France doing research in Israel and in, and in New York where I found a treasure trove. In New York is the YIVO Institute on Jewish Research. And they have a collection of documents that were buried beneath the ghetto during the war and unearthed after the war. And in this collection of documents were my cousin's actor's union card and mentions of her in plays and posters. And it's a tremendous, tremendous collection of information that's so, so important. And so I was able to, to start piecing it together with that, but also in the archives I found her applications for passports and found um, census data and her marriage certificates. And so I was starting to be able to put this all together. Then, again, not having read the book, I found a testimony of a woman who was with her when she said she fought the Nazis and when they killed her. So I had the information even not having read the book. I think probably anyone that... Uh, um anyone whose family that was in the Holocaust or anyone with, with, with friends that went 
through the Holocaust or experienced the Holocaust will will certainly identify with this with with this story. And even those that are on the outside looking in and just observing it as as a tragic moment in history and 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 all the ramifications ramifications thereof. Was this process was it cathartic for you in some way, or or was it um, validation? Um, what was yes, it was. It was. Um, what I decided to do after I did read the book eventually, about five years into this, and what I decided to do was to follow her route. She escaped the ghetto, went to a friend's house on the outside of the ghetto, who kept her for three days, took everything from her, her jewelry and everything, and threw her out. And she walked to a city called Ashmiani, which is in Belarus. So from Vilnius to Ashmiani. And I decided on the day that I identified as the day she probably left the ghetto to do the same thing. So I walked from Vilna to Ashmiani, um, which is about 30 miles. We walked and hitchhiked. And I wanted to, to, to be in the place. And when I arrived in Ashmiani, um, after having pizza at a karaoke bar, <laughs> um, you know, the, the life is strange. Um, I was able to find the area where she was brutally, brutally murdered. And the strange thing happened there. And that was, it, it was cathartic for me. It I realized that that life goes on. And um, in the book, I describe what happened. Um, it was very, very moving. But it gave me a sense that um, that we know that these things happen and we know that the world is a, not always a beautiful place, but that life goes on and that we have to to take a stand when we see injustice, but keep moving forward. And quite honestly, it changed me because I had been somebody who was thought about the Holocaust every single day. You know, my children were immersed in it and I was, I interviewed them for the book. Mm -hmm. um, and what I, my children are all grown now. What I learned was my daughters told me that they played the Holocaust game when they were kids, when they were little. They would take their stuffed animals and hide under the blankets because they were afraid. Mm -hmm. And they'd say, hide, hide, they're coming. And I was horrified. I thought, what did I do to my poor babies? Did I make them paranoid? Are they afraid of their neighbors? And my children, all four of them said, no, no, you didn't make us paranoid. You made us aware. Mm -hmm. And they also pointed out to me that I gave them something that I didn't realize. I said to them, this is what the world can look like, that it's not always a beautiful place. There are horrors. But you have to stand up, you have to do something, you have to call it out. And by giving them a sense of agency, they said that I made it so that they weren't afraid, that they could see injustice, not just anti-Semitism, but racism, even climate change, things that are terrifying, and face them down and call it out and do something about it. At, at some point, I believe, you, you reached out to a, a colleague at Rutgers to, I believe, do a translation uh, of, of, of the of the book um, I've got to imagine that that was probably pretty revealing even though you may have already had an idea of what was what was what was there but what was that like having that finally 
translate well, it? Well, I asked him to translate it before I knew anything mm-hmm. about her. Um, he was a Yiddish studies professor at Rutgers and um, a really lovely man. His name was Moshe Moskowitz. And although I'm only 5'1", I sort of bent over to talk to him. <laughs> um, he was like a little old Jewish man. And he, he was honored to read the book. He read it, and then he said to me, don't read it. And um, so I took the book and I put it back on the shelf. How difficult was that to to do that? Such a central part of your history and your family's history. And, and the scholar who said, oh, don't read it. <laughs> you know, it's funny that it wasn't that hard. You know, I understood that Molly didn't want me to read it. And I thought there must be a reason. There must be something in this that tells a story that that is too hard to say, is too hard to read, is, um, is, is tragic. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was, but it, it, I was afraid to do it. Even when I finally did read the book, I, I didn't read it for any special reason. I just walked into the room one day, took it down and decided it's time. And, um, and I should tell you, after I found out what happened to her, I didn't write for quite a while. Um, I, I knew that I needed to take a break from it because it, it was just so, um, so horrific and so um, difficult to digest, especially when you feel you know someone. You know, you know we all know that there's, there's six million doesn't mean very much, but when you talk about an individual and you get to know them and you, you're enchanted by them, love, you know, I loved her. Um, that can be very difficult. But you asked in the beginning a question that I think is a good one, and that's, did Molly mean that you don't ever read it? Mm-hmm. And by the end, I realized that she she would not have said, keep this book and pass it down if she didn't want me to at some point read it. What did you learn about Frenya? I mean, obviously, the pictures and some of the pictures that are in the, in the, on the cover, I mean, obviously very effervescent and it was in the, the Yiddish theater. Um, on the surface, it looked like a very full of life uh, individual. What, what did you learn about her in the process? Well, I learned that she was a full human being, that she was, well, I learned, I was very lucky to find reviews of her work in Polish newspapers, Yiddish newspapers, Russian um, in all these different, even French, I was able to find descriptions of her on stage. And one that I just loved that was in Russian said she was beloved above all. I think that's so beautiful. But this was a woman who was very professional, would go to the theater early and practice her lines and was also very, very kind. Each one of the, the descriptions of her talks about her kindness. She would have people to their home, and, and they would entertain, like a salon, have artists and, and writers, and she would smoke cigarette on a long cigarette holder. But they talk about how gracious she was. In fact, I found one account of a woman coming from Warsaw, an actress, um, and telling how bad things were there. And they all met at a banquet at Franja Winter's home. So it was... It was um, confirmation of what I had heard, even what Molly told me as a child about her. Um, But I also learned that she had an affair. 
Um, she had an affair with a leading man of the Yiddish stage. His name was Rudolf Zaslavsky. And the New York Times said that he was the Edwin Booth of the Soviet stage. <laughs> um, so she had she had an affair. She had she lived a full life. You know, this was a life like I wouldn't say like any of ours, like like someone in the theater that you would expect. And the theater in in the Yiddish theater in Europe at that time, this is the 20s and the 30s, was very avant-garde. So she was playing all sorts of roles. She was playing role, the role of a little boy, but the role of a prostitute. She would be playing all sorts of, of roles that in the United States, the vice squad would have turned down. During this process, I believe if I remember correctly, uh, you visited Vilnius a, a couple of different times over a period of, of years. Um, obviously, that part of, of 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 Europe was kind of I don't know how you describe it ground zero for German Nazi atrocities during during the war. What struck you between the time period that spanned between when you were there and then when you when you returned? Because it seemed like it was a marked difference, at least to some degree, in yes. this in this community. Well, the first time I went, I believe it was. Um, 2002, I went because I wanted to go on sort of a homecoming trip with my children. I wanted to, them to see where they came from. And then it was it felt just post-Soviet. Um, it was still dilapidated. There were still buildings that were, were not refinished. Um, and I took my children to, my, to our house, our family's home. And this, the city is very beautiful. The, the architecture is extraordinary. But as we're walking on the street, I realize that we're walking on Jewish gravestone on the sidewalk. Mm. If you looked down and looked carefully, they used them to pave the sidewalks with. And I said it. It came out of my mouth. And here I am with these children who are looking down and, like, jumping up and down because they don't know what to do. You know, I, I, they need to get off of this. Um, so there was this feeling that the war wasn't so far away. Um, also, it, it, not many people spoke English then. Mm. It was it, it was a different place. It was not quite like the rest of Europe. Mm-hmm. However, when I went back in later years, and, and certainly the last time I was there, I, I've been there maybe 10 times now, mm. um, it had changed markedly. My husband came with me the last time I was there, and it was his first time back. And he calls it the Brooklyn of the Baltics. <laughs> um, it was very cool, very, very much more like Europe. Um, it was, you know, lovely. The buildings had been restored. There were coffee shops on every corner. You know, you could get bagels. <laughs> um, very, very modern. Very different. The young people all spoke English, um, just a different sense of it. But still, there remains this feeling. I met with a young woman. Um, I was there to, to um, give a talk on, on women's issues. And I met with a young woman before the talk. And she told me that her father was half Jewish. And she was very interested in the history. But as we were leaving to go to the talk, she said to me, oh, by the way, don't tell anyone that I told you that. So there still is a sense that, um, the, for some people anyway, that being Jewish is a problem. It's something you keep quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But what I found among the young people was interesting. A friend of mine is a member of parliament there, young, 30 years old, and she said to me, we must acknowledge what happened and that there was participation by Lithuanians as well. And I thought that that was important. To this day, you, um, your work continues on behalf of Holocaust survivors and, and the Jewish community and, and, and women particularly. What do you hope that people that pick up and, and read Unearth, what do you hope that they take away from, from Franya's story, from, from your family story, um, from this history that is really a, a, a global history to some degree? How do you hope that they take away from this? Well, what I hope they take away from it is the humanity, that, that we're talking about real people with real lives, and they, they were meant to be erased. And what I hope I was able to do here was to give them back their humanity and their dignity, um, and to say they lived and they died, and this is what happened, and we have to believe that it happened, and we have to know that it's still happening. There are places in the world where this is still happening, and we can't put our head in the sand. We have to know that this is happening and call it out and do something about it. That's what I think is most important about it, that there's a message here and that people take away from it a sense that you can move beyond it, mm -hmm. but that we can never forget and we have to call it out when we see injustice. That's author and retired ambassador Meryl Frank. Her new family memoir is Unearthed. For this special edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams. Thank you for joining us for this Holocaust Remembrance Day.